you pray with me and for me now? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts find acceptance in your sight, Almighty Father. For you are our rock and you are our redeemer. Amen. When it comes to church leadership, not everyone is equal. I don't know about you, but that fact is offensive to my sensibilities, right? Are you a little offended by that? That when it comes to church leadership, not everyone is equal. When I say that, there are things that I mean and things that I don't mean that are worth pursuing here. We're not talking about a person's worth or value intrinsically in themselves. Christ thought every one of us was worthy of his offering his life for, descending from the heavenly places to minister and to serve and to teach and to speak the word of God too. Worth dying for, worth rising from the dead for, worth ascending into heaven for every one of us. This has been the message of Ephesians, right? For Jews and Gentiles alike, Christ has done this. We were all dead in our sins and made alive by the power of Jesus, which gives us no room to boast because we were dead, unable to do anything for ourselves. And Paul's already told us that the good works that we do are already prepared for us in Christ Jesus. He set everything up so that we can do the right thing. There's no room for us to boast. None of us are better or more worthy than anyone else. I'm also not talking about self-importance, that the leaders of the church should move around in a haughty, self-righteous way. Oh, I am more important than the others of you who uh, don't have the same gifts or the same calling as me. Paul has just last week told all of us that we're called to humility, that we're called to patience, that we're called to bear together in love, that we're called to gentleness. All of us, every single one of us are called to live lives worthy of the calling to which we've been called. That we were dead and have been made alive, that we were outsiders and we've been brought into the family, that we were aliens and we've been made citizens, that we were sinners and we've been made into saints. Citizens among the saints, Paul says. The Spirit has marked each one of us with the seal making us look more like Jesus. And the power that is at work within us is the guarantee of our inheritance that is to come. And it is far more imaginable. It does far more imaginable things even now in our midst than we could ask for or imagine. And all of that, is oriented towards the building up of the body of Christ. All of it is for Jesus, and all of it is for the church, which is his body. This means that I'm not talking about your worth or your value. I'm I'm not talking about self-importance or self-righteousness. I'm not talking about living as an authoritarian over others. If it's not that, in what sense do I mean that not everyone is equal when it comes to the leadership of the church? And what it is that I mean is that there are different levels of responsibility is the kind way to say it. The other way to say it would be authority within the body. 
No one is more important than another to God. No one merits God's grace more than anyone else. No one is expendable or unimportant in the kingdom of God. And yet, and yet Christ has given us gifts according to the measure of his own gift. All of us have received gifts according to the measure of Christ's gift. If we've learned anything through this book of Ephesians... It's the measure of Christ's gift. It's impossible to measure. It's immeasurable. It's boundless. It has no borders, Paul says. It's infinite. He wants us to know. He prays that we might know the mystery of Christ's work so that we could know the the height and the depth and the breadth and the width of His power and His love. So with all of that, Paul begins to speak about different roles that people have in the church. Roles that come with different levels of authority to lead within the body. And notice how he starts. He starts with something that might seem like a a random or or just uh, out of context citation about the one who ascended and gave gifts to his people. And then he begins to describe what that looks like. And he talks about the movement of Jesus. The movement of Jesus that is not, necess- that is not initially upward mobility. Jesus does not start low and then go high. He's not a classic American success story of the American dream. In fact, it's the opposite. That Jesus' story is initially one of descent. That Jesus descends from the heavenly places to the earth. He dies on the cross and is placed in a grave. He goes all the way to the depths of hell. And then he ascends. And then he moves up above all of the heavenly places where he's given a name that is above every name. All of this work starts with Jesus. And all of it starts with Downward mobility, not upward mobility. It's not ambition, it's service and love. And this trajectory is not just Jesus's, it's ours. All of us, regardless of what roles in the church we are called to, we are called to become last so that in Jesus's kingdom we might be first. So he lists these categories, these offices, these roles that people take within the life of the church. Apostles, he says, and prophets, and evangelists, and pastors, and teachers. And all of those sound like good churchy words, right? But I think we should spend just a minute paying attention to what Paul means by them. Apostles are those who are sent, are those who have a mission. Mission is just the Latin word for sending. Uh, Apostle is the Greek word for sending. It means the same thing. That These folks were called wherever they were to go and to spread the gospel in other places. They are sent and they are called to go wherever God sends them to do whatever work God calls them to do among whatever people God calls them to do it. And this work absolutely takes 
the help of the Holy Spirit because no one could do it on their own. They're, they're called to, to do all of these other things that come afterwards in their work as apostles. As they go and they plant churches, as they start communities of faith everywhere that they go. All of the disciples become apostles. Paul himself becomes an apostle sent to various parts of the earth to spread the gospel and to show communities of faith what it looks like to live as Christians in the world. This work requires a great deal of cultural and linguistic translation. They go to places where people don't speak the same language as them, where cultures are very different. Paul says, I have to become all things to all people that by any means I might save some. This is the work of an apostle, to go to strange places with strange people and tell them the gospel that doesn't change in any place or at any time. To start communities of faith that can grow and foster leaders that can sustain themselves over time. That's the work of an apostle. And prophets, prophets become the mouthpiece for the Lord. Prophets are able to hear the word of the Lord and then are tasked by God to proclaim that word to God's people. And one thing you should know about prophets is if you, if you read the Old Testament, God's people are not usually happy when the prophets show up. The prophets are not usually saying things to the people that are congruent with the ways that they are living their lives. God is sending a special person to offer a special message because the people have become so distant from God that, that they no longer are paying attention to the voice of God. So God speaks to an individual who can then become the mouthpiece of God for others. Sometimes prophecy tells us about things that have already happened so that we can understand the world before us. Um, sometimes prophecy tells us about things that are present, what's happening in the world. Sometimes prophecy tells us about where God is taking us. But it is always the word of the Lord spoken to the people of God. And is oftentimes offensive to us to hear it because of the way it pulls us out of the ruts that we're in and invites us to live differently. There are apostles, those who are sent. And there are prophets, those who speak for God. And there are evangelists. Evangelists are those who carry the message of good news to those who are outside the church, outside of the people of God. They, they live moving back and forth between the people of faith and the people who have no faith, inviting folks in and bringing them in with them so that they can believe the gospel. So they can believe the good news that Jesus has died for them, that Jesus has been raised from the dead, that Jesus is making all things well and gathering all things up into himself, and that there is hope for the world beyond the dysfunction that we see from day to day. Evangelists are the ones that invite people in. Their work is fundamentally invitational to spread the gospel in a way that people can hear it and respond and become active disciples in the life of the church. Evangelism is not simply to encourage someone to say a prayer so that they can get out of, their, out of hell free card. Evangelism is work to initiate people into a life of discipleship. And then 
Paul gives these last two categories. Some folks read them as separate roles. Other folks read them as two aspects of the same role. If you notice, Paul says, some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists. And then he says, some pastors and teachers. He doesn't say some pastors and some teachers. So this has created some debate about how it works. But in either case, these two tasks can be shared or they can be separate. Not everyone who's called to uh, teach is called to pastor necessarily. But pastors, the word pastor comes from the same word that we get pasture from, where we keep animals, right? A pastor is a shepherd. A pastor looks after the flock. A pastor binds up their wounds when they're hurt. A pastor leads them to still water, right? Leads them to green where they can eat. A pastor protects the sheep from others. This is the work of a pastor, to look after the flock, take them where they need to be, and make sure they get the things that they need. And teachers, teachers enable the ongoing growth of the church. They instruct the church in the truth of Scripture, in the truth of the gospel, and help people to grow in their knowledge of God. Not their knowledge of the Bible so that people can quote it and cite it, but not take it into their hearts, but so that they can grow in their knowledge and their love of God. And these folks, every one of them, carries a bit of a different authority in the life of the church than everyone else. If you have a shepherd, you have sheep. They're not exactly equal, right? They have different roles. And the purpose of all of these gifts, gifts that might be easy to look at and say, oh, those are the really important ones, is not so that they can be really important, not so they can be full of pride, not so that they can walk around and be proud of of what God is doing through them and in them, but all of these roles exist for one purpose, to equip. And who are they equipping? The saints. And who are the saints? The whole church, right? Their work is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the work of service. One of the churches that I served on their bulletin every week, they, they listed the staff. And at the very top, it said, ministers, all members of Gulfport First United Methodist Church. It's a helpful reminder, right? All of us, all of the saints, all who are in Christ, are called to be ministers, servants of the gospel. None of us None of us can escape it. These roles, apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers, exist for the one goal of equipping the saints for ministry with one goal in mind, to build up the church. Now, the church here is not the sanctuary, not all of the facilities, not the budget, The church here is not a location. The church here is the people. 
the people that hopefully are continuing to grow in number because of the work of the evangelist who's bringing people in, that hopefully are getting in line with the word of God by the work of prophets, that hopefully are cared for by pastors who are looking after the flock, who are growing in their knowledge of God by the work of teachers, and and, and the flock itself is, is having more and more iterations all throughout the world because of the work of apostles who are planting new churches and existing as missionaries, building up the church in other places that Christ might be known everywhere. This is the goal, to build up the church, the church whose unity has been given to you by Jesus, the church whose unity you are called to maintain, the church whose unity you have received and are charged with keeping, Paul says. So every, every ministry exists for the building up of the church. And those who are set aside for ministry exist to equip the whole church to do the work of Jesus. The head, Christ, sends information to those who are set apart, who send information to the church, that they may do their work. The ministry of the church is the ministry of all the saints. That means that I and Connor, your lay leader, and all of the leaders of our church can't do all the ministry. We can't do it all. It's our responsibility to lead you in the work of ministry. As as Paul writes here, he mentions that Jesus is filling everything up. He said earlier that Jesus is gathering everything up, and now he's bringing these two things together. One of the church fathers says that there is nothing in the universe... There's nothing in heaven or on earth that has not been touched by the redemptive power of Jesus. Nothing. As Jesus gathers it all up, as he fills it all up, Jesus touches everything in the universe. And the leading of those who are set apart is to lead the church in ministry that the world might be able to recognize what Jesus has done. That there is nothing in the world, nothing in the world that has not been touched by the grace and the power of Jesus. So I ask you today, what is the measure of Christ's gift of grace in your life? If, if, If Jesus has done this according to the measure of his gift for us, what is that measure in your life? Has it really brought you from death to life? Has it really taken you from being an outsider and made you an insider, from being an alien and made you a citizen? If it's done that, if it's taken you from unresponsive to capable of doing good works, what are you called to do with that? What responsibility do you have to share that with others so that they can experience the goodness and the power that you have known? through word, through deed, through the character of your life, sometimes through silence as an act of patience and grace. What responsibility do you have in light of Christ's gift to live in service to God with your whole life? 
not to give God your Sunday mornings and a little bit of time in the morning and the evening and maybe just before meals, but to be equipped for the work of ministry in every breath that you might live in your gifts in service to the Lord and service to the church. Paul says if we do this well, it will bear fruit in our midst. It will bear the fruit of unity, that this kind of leadership, where those who've been set apart lead the church in the work of ministry, will unite us together, not that it will divide us, not that it will say, oh, some people think they're better than others, but that instead it will provide focus and unity to our work, that we will grow in our knowledge of the Son of God, that we will grow into mature adults, and that we will know the measure of the full stature of Christ. That as God's Spirit works through leaders who lead the church in the work of ministry, that all of us have the potential to look just like Jesus. This is what we'll be talking about a little bit next week. But for now, what I want to say is that some of us are inclined to being content with our own spiritual lives, with the state of the church, with the state of our community, with the state of the world. We think we've done all we can or that we've made it far enough or that we are we're exactly where we should be. And to some of you, I say, God might be calling you to be set apart to lead. God might be calling you to be a missionary. God might be calling you to be a prophet. He might be giving you something that the church desperately needs to hear. God might be calling you to teach or to pastor. God might be calling you to be an evangelist. Maybe not with a sign on the side of Bourbon Street telling folks they're going to hell. Maybe at your workplace where quietly and gently over time you can teach people about the good news of Jesus. Maybe God is calling you to be set apart for the work of ministry. Or maybe he's calling you to continue exactly as you are, as one of the saints in all of the places where the saints go every day that's called to serve, that's called to minister and be a, a sign of Christ's light wherever you go. God has given us the grace that we need to equip the saints for ministry. And this is our task until all of the work is done. Until the work is done in us such that, as individuals such that we are mature adults standing with the full measure of the full stature of Christ in the church. Even if somehow we, by God's grace, reach perfection in love, we still have a responsibility to the rest of the church to bring them along as well. Our work is not done. And even if we got everybody who's currently in the church to the full stature of Christ, to perfection and love, there's still a whole world out there that Jesus' redeeming power has touched that is not yet aware of his name. So Christ is doing this work in you and in our congregation and in the church throughout the world and in the world itself. And until all the world is ready to bow their knees and confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father, the work is not finished. 
He is capable of doing more than we can ask and imagine. And He does that. He does that through our service that He empowers and makes possible. So this week, today, tomorrow, Thursday, how are you going to live in service to the Lord? How as one of the saints of God are you going to offer yourself in ministry to the world? It takes every one of us and with us, despite us, through us, Christ is able to do incredible things. I hope as we gather next week, you will have seen those things and be eager to share them. Let's pray. O Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, you have ascended on high that you might give gifts to your people. We pray that you would call every one of us to follow your trajectory, to go low in service to you, and lower still, to not be above any task, but to use the gifts that you have given to us for your glory and for the good of the church. You might bring us together in perfect unity, that you might fill us with the knowledge of your work, that we ourselves might come to maturity to the full stature that we have seen in you. You who were the perfect apostle, you who were the perfect prophet, you who were the perfect evangelist, you who were the best pastor and the best teacher, share a portion of your gifts with us as well, O Lord that we might be about your ministry in the world. Let us not be focused on responsibilities or authority, but fill us with humility that we might be your servants today and tomorrow and every day afterwards as we embark to do the work that you have prepared for us. We pray this in your holy and precious and powerful name. Amen.